This episode is brought to you by CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service that offers thousands of documentaries and non-fiction titles for just $2.99 a month. More on them in a bit. Sometimes he is called Qin Shi Huang, and sometimes Shi Huang Di. Sometimes he is called Ying Zheng, and other times Zhao Zheng. They all refer to the same person. Regardless of the moniker, the man behind the name represents one of the most important figures in the history of China. He was the founder of the Qin Dynasty. It was short-lived, only lasting 15 years, but it had a great impact on the country. That is because the Qin Dynasty was the first to rule over a united imperial China. Before becoming emperor, Qian Shi Huang was king of the Qian state, and during an explosive time known as the Warring States period, he emerged victorious in a battle for supremacy against his neighboring kingdoms, conquering them all and bringing them under his dominion. This would have been enough to earn Qian Shi Huang a place in the history books, but the new administrative policies that he introduced also represented a stark departure from the way things had been done for centuries, trying to ensure that China would never have a warring states period again. Then there were the ambitious construction projects, chief among them the famed Great Wall of China and the thousands of terracotta warriors that still guard the emperor's mausoleum to this day. Qian Shi Huang spent the last years of his life in a bizarre pursuit of the elixir of life so that he could live forever. Things might not have worked out exactly as he would have wanted in the end, but his actions certainly immortalized him as one of China's greatest rulers. Before we examine the life of Qian Shi Huang, we should take a look at the state of China itself prior to it being reunified under his reign. There was a powerful dynasty called the Zhao, which ruled over a large territory, but not quite all of what is traditionally considered the core Chinese mainland. They were led by a king who had the mandate of heaven. He was recognized as the son of heaven, and he possessed the divine right to be ruler. Technically, the Zhao dynasty lasted for almost 800 years, from the 11th century BC until the middle of the 3rd century BC. However, as early as the 8th century BC, the power of the king started to diminish as local military leaders and noblemen began to assert their authority. The king simply didn't have the power to keep all these ambitious upstarts in line and at the same time fight off the neighboring powers that were trying to invade. Consequently, the territory splintered into hundreds of small states. On paper, they were all still loyal to the king, but in reality, each one of them wanted to assert their sovereignty. Of course, simply being autonomous wasn't good enough, so pretty soon the states started fighting with each other in order to grow their hegemony. This led to some of these states becoming large and powerful enough that they declared independence, breaking off from the Zhao dynasty completely, and even going to war against them. The tail end of the Zhao dynasty was a particularly violent and turbulent time known as the Warring States period, which lasted for around 250 years from the 5th century BC until 221 BC. There was a fight for supremacy between seven kingdoms, the Qi, the Qian, the Chu, the Han, the Zhao, the Wei, and the Yan. You'll notice that the Zhou is not among them, as by this point the power that the king of Zhou still had was merely symbolic. He managed to hang on thanks to alliances and conspiracies with other more powerful rulers who wanted to legitimize their own authority with approval from the Son of Heaven. But of course, not even this could last forever, and the Zhao dynasty finally ended in 256 BC when the Qin state captured the city of Chengzhou and killed King Nan. Qian Shi Huang was born circa 259 BC, as his moniker implies, in the Qian state. 
He is usually known as Qian Shi Huang or Shi Huang Di, but both were in fact titles. His actual name was Ying Zheng, sometimes also called Zhao Zheng. However, once he had conquered all the other states and unified China, he gave himself the new title of Huang Di or Emperor and assumed the regnal names of Shi Huang Di, which meant First Emperor, and Qin Shi Huang. His parentage is somewhat controversial, thanks to an ancient historian named Sima Jiang, who indicated that Ying's father might not have actually been his real father. Ostensibly, Ying Jiang was the eldest son of King Zhuo Zhijiang of Qin and Lady Zhao. According to the historian, the king and his future queen met back when he was still known as Prince Yiren. He was being held hostage in Zhao, another one of the warring states, in order to ensure peace between their two kingdoms. However, the prince was liberated with the help of a wealthy and influential merchant named Lu Bu Wei, who also introduced him to his future wife, known at the time as Zhao Zhi. But what Prince Yiren never found out was that Zhao was one of Lu's former concubines and might have already been pregnant with his child when the two married, and therefore Ying Zheng would have actually have been the son of Lu Bu Wei and not King Zhao Jiang. Of course, there is no way to verify this. It's also possible the historian invented this to slander the former emperor, but either way, this is a rumor that has persisted for millennia. Regardless, Zhao Jiang only ruled for three years as King of Qing before dying in 240. BC and being succeeded by Ying Zheng. His son, however, was only 13 years old at the time, so Lu Bu Wei stepped in again to serve as his regent. Again, we're going strictly on the word of Sima Jiang, but it seems that once the king was out of the picture, Lu resumed his affair with the queen dowager Zhao, or maybe it never really ended in the first place, who knows. Anyway, as the years went on and Ying Zheng was getting closer to assuming control of the kingdom, Lu was becoming more concerned with the possible consequences of his illicit relationship with the young king's mother. Therefore, he tried to distance himself from Queen Zhao. She was not too thrilled with this idea, not necessarily because of her affection for Lu, but because she still wanted someone to satisfy her desires. The two compromised, and Lu found a good substitute who would have been more than capable of rising to the occasion. His name was Lao Ai, and he was allegedly so well endowed that he could spin a wheel on his erect member. Of course, the queen wouldn't have been allowed publicly to have a boy toy, so Lao Ai was always shaved and dressed to look like a eunuch. Queen Zhao was very happy with this arrangement, and Lao Ai quickly became her court favorite. She gave him titles, wealth, and power, and the couple might have even had two children together. But all of this went to his head, and soon enough he started to get ideas about overthrowing Ying Zheng and installing one of his own sons as the new king. Around 238 BC, Ying Zheng found out the truth after a drunken Lao Ai foolishly boasted that he was the king's stepfather. Outraged, he decided that it was time to execute a whole bunch of people, so Lao Ai, left with nothing to lose, tried to stage a revolt. He couldn't get many people to rally to his cause, though, and the rebellion was easily crushed. Lao Ai was killed by being torn apart by horses, while three generations of his family were also executed, including his two sons with the queen, of course. As for Zhao, she was not killed, but condemned to live under house arrest for the rest of her days. For his role in the affair, Lu Bu Wai was also punished by being stripped of his powers and banished to a remote part of the kingdom. He committed suicide by drinking poison a few years later. Many modern historians put this entire chapter of Qin Shi Huang's life under a big question mark, and even argue that Lao Ai might not have existed at all. However, whether or not it happens, the end result was the same. Ying Zheng assumed full power as the king of Qing and was able to dedicate himself towards his true goal, which was conquering the six other warring states. And before we continue with today's video, let me thank today's sponsor, 
Curiosity Stream. Curiosity Stream is a subscription streaming service that offers thousands of documentaries and non-fiction titles from some of the world's best filmmakers, including exclusive originals. Curiosity Stream is available on many platforms, Roku, Android, Xbox One, Smart TVs, iOS, Chromecast, Amazon Fire, Amazon Kindle, and Apple TV, pretty much everywhere. It's offered worldwide and it's constantly updated with amazing, timely content. Right now, for instance, they have a popular new documentary series, the top science stories of 2020. Obviously, it features a few profiles on COVID-19, but it also dives into CRISPR, Mars rover, fossilized DNA, and several other pieces of exciting news that you might have missed last year. And if you're enjoying this specific video on Chinese history, then why not investigate Curiosity Stream's catalog of rich content centered around China? Of particular note here might be the documentary The Mystery of the Disorderly Warriors. Right now, you can go to curiositystream.com forward slash biographics for unlimited access to the world's top documentaries and non-fiction series. And for you guys, enter the promo code biographics when prompted during the sign-up process and your membership is completely free for the first 30 days. It's a great way to support this show and it keeps us making more videos, but I really couldn't think of a better fit for sponsorship given that they're all about educational content as well. And with that said, let us get back to ancient China. Right from the start, Ying Jing had an advantage over his adversaries because the kingdom he inherited was the largest and most powerful of the warring state and also had a good position at the western edge of the Chinese territory. The first of all was Han, which did not prove to be overly difficult as it was the weakest of the seven kingdoms. It was located in the middle of ancient China, so ever since it declared independence in the late 4th century BC, it had always been surrounded by bigger, more powerful states and it could never expand, unlike its neighbors. The main reason why it had survived thus far was because whenever one state tried to invade it, another one usually came to its defense out of self-interest in order to prevent its enemy from growing too powerful. But this mattered little to Ying since he intended to attack everyone anyway. In 230 BC, he marched his army into Han and the state was conquered that same year. Afterwards came a much bigger foe, the Zhao state. Again, a lot of the hard work had been done before Ying Zheng even ascended to the throne. The two states had already had a war a few decades prior. It culminated in the Battle of Chiang Ping in 260 BC and ended in a decisive victory for Qian. Therefore, the Zhao state that Ying Zheng faced was a much weaker one than it used to be. Even so, this would prove to be the king's longest military campaign, one that saw him face many setbacks and even defeats. Zhao had one big ace up his sleeve. His name was Li Mu, and he is considered one of the greatest generals of ancient China. He was one of the main reasons why Zhao was not overrun immediately. Even when Xiang gained territory, Li Mu defeated them in combat several times, especially at the Battle of Fei in 233 BC. As long as he was still standing, the enemy found it difficult to make any permanent headway in Zhao. If he could not achieve his goal through war, Ying Zheng resorted to deception. The details are a bit unclear, but he used spies and bribes in order to sow discord in the Zhao court. Specifically, he got the king of Zhao, Yongmi, to distrust Li Mu and relieve him of his position. The former general died around 229 BC after being either executed or forced to commit suicide. Afterwards, Ying found it much easier to defeat Zhao. He captured Handan, the state's capital, in 228 BC and executed King Yumui. In essence, the Zhao state had been conquered and eliminated as a threat, but one of the king's sons, Prince Jia, managed to flee to the northern region of the kingdom called Dai, proclaimed it a new independent state, and named himself king. He lasted for another six years or so before being ultimately vanquished, thus completing the total annexation of the Zhao state. Next up, Zhen set his sights on the kingdom of Yan. The Crown Prince Dan realized that they would be no match against Qin in battle, so instead he dispatched an assassin named Jing Qi to eliminate Ying Zheng. 
In 227 BC, Jinki approached the Qian court, posing as a Yan nobleman ready to betray his homeland. He said that he was in possession of valuable maps of the territory ahead. This was always intended as a suicide mission. Armed with a poison dagger, Jing Qi's deception was only meant to get him close enough to the king to kill him, as afterwards he would have surely been struck down by the guards. Unfortunately for him, he failed in his assassination attempt, which also provided Ying with a great excuse to invade Yan, not that he really needed one. Bizarrely enough, Jing Qi became somewhat of a folk hero in China, and during the Han Dynasty, he was immortalized in poetry, songs, stories. Later, he had a mountain and a town named after him, and even in modern times, he has been the subject of movies and television shows. The war went decidedly in Qing's favor. Ying Zheng invaded Yan in 226 BC, and soon enough, he captured the capital of Jisheng. In a desperate attempt, King Shi of Yan even executed his own son, Crown Prince Dan, and sent his head to Ying Zheng as a way of apologizing for the assassination attempt. This sort of worked, as Ying delayed his conquest for a few years, but came back in 222 BC to finish the job. In reality, this was a a sign to the king of Qin that he could focus his attention on the next target as Yan was no longer a threat and could be annexed at any time. Yin Zheng began his conquest of the states of Wei and Chu around the same time, mainly because he believed that otherwise one of them might attack his flanks while he was waging war against the other. Fortunately for Ying, he also had one of the most skilled generals of that era in his retinue. His name was Wang Jiang, and his son Wang Ben became a successful commander in his own right. In 225 BC, Ben marched an army into Wei while his father took on the more difficult task of conquering Chu, a state that almost rivaled Qian in size and power. The kingdom of Wei proved to be an easy target. After Wang Ben employed a clever strategy to redirect the waters of the Yellow River in order to flood the capital of Wei, the king had no choice but to surrender. Chu turned out to be much more resilient. In fact, the first Qian invasion, which was not led by Wang Jiang, was successfully repelled. It wasn't until 224 BC that Ying Zheng sent another army three times as big, this time led by his skilled general to conquer Chu and permanently add it to his growing empire. Even so, it took almost two years before Wang Jiang was ultimately successful. Only one state was still left to conquer, Qi, and it turned out to be a bit of a pushover. Ying Zheng invaded the kingdom in 221 BC and conquered it later that same year, encountering very little resistance. Some say this was because prior to this, he had bribed many officials from Qi, including the Chancellor, Hou Sheng, in order to ensure that the opposing army was poorly organized and equipped. In 221 BC, Ying Zheng had fulfilled his ambition. He had conquered the warring states and united ancient China under his rule. From now on, he was Qian Shi. Huang, founder of the new Qian dynasty. Just because Qian Shi Huang conquered all the other Chinese states did not mean that he was done fighting. He had to deal with a lot of rebellions from small armies that refused to recognize his authority, but there were also external threats to contend with. Of them all, the most dangerous was the nomadic Xiongnu people who claimed dominion over a vast territory in the Eurasian steppe. The origins of the Xiongnu is one giant mystery, since as a confederation of nomadic tribes, they didn't really bother writing things down or settling cities or doing anything that would leave behind some kind of historical record. In fact, the first mentions we have of them come from the Chinese, and it has been speculated that the Xiongnu were the ancestors of the Huns, who were also a nomadic people who emerged from the same area a few centuries later. Anyway, the Chinese and the Xiongnu had long-lasting conflicts that eventually erupted into a full-blown war, but this happens about 80 years after Qin Shi Huang's death. During his time, the situation was not quite as tense, but the emperor still recognized the possible threat posed by the nomadic tribes gathering 
being near his northern border. Therefore, he sent his general Mieng Tiang to launch a victorious preemptive strike against the Xiongnu in 215 BC. Inside his empire, Chiang Shi Huang narrowly avoided another assassination attempt. This one came courtesy of Jiang Liang, an official from the former Han state who wanted to avenge the conquest of his kingdom. His plan was to organize an ambush on the imperial convoy and destroy the emperor's carriage. Unfortunately for him, he picked the wrong one, as Chiang Shi Huang traveled with two identical carriages for this very reason. Jiang Liang might have failed, but ultimately he had the last laugh as he proved to be instrumental in the fall of the Qian dynasty after Shi Huangdi's death. For most of his reign, the emperor was concerned with the administration of his empire. He wanted to distance himself from the feudal approach that had been present in China for most of the previous thousand years because he knew that, as time passed, that would lead to the noble families gaining more and more power, which would ultimately result in another situation like the Warring States. Therefore, he established a central government in the capital of Xiangyang. He divided his empire into 36 administrative divisions called Jun and forced all the important aristocratic families to live in the capital, instead of each one ruling over their own stretch of land far away from the government. Qian Shi Huang enacted reforms such as issuing state coinage, introducing universal standardization, and improving the empire's road and wall network in order to safeguard it against barbarians. His most famous construction project was the Great Wall of China, although we should mention that some sections of the wall had existed for hundreds of years by that point, dating as far back as the 7th century BC. If you want to learn more about this iconic landmark, then good news, we did a whole video on it on our sister channel, Geographics, so why not check that out after this one. As the years went on, Qian Shi Huang became more tyrannical than paranoid. The main targets of his oppression were intellectuals, especially those who followed Confucianism. He undertook a large-scale campaign to burn most books that didn't have anything to do with medicine, agriculture, divination, or the history of the Qian state. Basically, he didn't want the history of China to exist before his reign. In his most infamous act, Qian Shi Huang reportedly arrested 460 Confucian scholars and buried them alive. Although he certainly punished and even executed those he perceived as subversive to his totalitarian regime, whether or not this specific event actually happened is a matter of debate among historians. Their biggest concern is that the only source of information comes to us from the Han Dynasty, the one that took power after the Qin Dynasty fell. Not only were they enemies, but the Han were followers of Confucianism, and this could have been an attempt to slander their former oppressor. In his final years, the emperor became quite obsessed with the concept of immortality. I suppose that multiple assassination attempts might do that to you. He dedicated vast resources to the search for an elixir of life that would allow him to live forever, and he traveled throughout his entire empire to meet with alchemists, healers, and magicians who could have provided him with what he desired. Of course, none of them could, and consequently, most of them were put to death for being charlatans. It was during one of these trips in 210 BC that Qian Shi Huang fell ill and died at the age of 49. His exact cause of death is unknown, but it may have been incredibly ironic, as the emperor may have inadvertently poisoned himself by drinking an immortality elixir that contained mercury. He was buried in a giant mausoleum that he had built for himself, surrounded by thousands of sculpted soldiers, cavalrymen, horses, chariots, acrobats, and musicians better known as the Terracotta Army. Tian Shi Huang was the Jian Dynasty. It was not strong enough to survive without him. There was an attempt to turn one of his sons into the new emperor, but the Qian state's many enemies quickly took advantage and rebellions erupted throughout the empire. Just a few years later, the Qian Dynasty was no more, but its legacy became an inseparable part 
of Chinese history. So I really hope you found that video interesting. If you did, please do hit that thumbs up button below. Also, please do subscribe to this channel if you haven't already and check out our fantastic sponsor, CuriosityStream, who I will link to below. And thank you for watching.